I don't sleep, I dream. It's Snescapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo Library. With a few pit stops along the way, we play them briefly, we judge them harshly, we rank them. That's pretty much all you need to know. I am Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero. And welcome back to week two of the Mary month of Mario month. That's the title of this, of these specials. You nailed it. That's right there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and, um, you know, uh, today we are continuing on, uh, not with two games today, just one. Uh, and uh, this is this is the uh, the second Mario game that uh, that came out here in in the U.S. And this is one that I have a lot of fondness for uh, Super Mario Brothers 2 from uh, the Super Mario All-Stars collection. You know, this is one that I am quite fond of as well. This was one that... Uh, took me a little bit to warm up to because it it is very strange in the overall canon of Mario games let's say it's 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 quite different it is uh it's quite different uh there is a reason for that which I bet many of you listening to the show already know but we are going to talk about that in uh in detail there's still some interesting stuff about it that you may not have heard before um but I think this is also a game that uh ended up being very influential on the Mario series particularly in some of its kind of like uh, more offshoot games. Like I think that Super Mario Brothers 2 is extremely influential on Yoshi's Island and that subseries. And I think that, uh, you know, just the stuff that is in this game ended up giving a lot of texture and uh, additional flavor to the Mario series that is, um, you know, still with us to this day. So an outlier, but a pretty important one. Yeah, absolutely. Um so, uh, so yeah, let's talk about why this game is such an outlier. We're going to go into the history of Super Mario Brothers 2 in North America, I should say. Yes. So when we last left our story, we were talking about why the Lost Levels didn't make it over here to America. Nintendo had plenty of reasons to not release that particular game stateside. But why did they go with this one instead? Well, that takes us into a story about a little game called Yume Kojo Doki Doki Panic, uh, which translates to Dream Factory Heart Pounding Panic. Doki Doki Panic was a collaboration between Nintendo and Fuji TV, a Japanese television network. Fuji had planned a rather elaborate World's Fair-like festival to occur in the summer of 1987 called the Communication Carnival Yume Factory 87. Uh, The event was heavily themed around imagination and dreaming. There was also a lot of references to other cultures and festivities around the world. Uh, While Brazil's Carnival was an obvious influence, uh, the mascot character was an Arabian character named Imagine, which was likely a play on the English word imagine. Quite a party just to let the public know about your summer TV schedule. It's yeah, it's it'd be like if ABC decided to throw like a World's Fair to let everybody know that Seinfeld was coming back. <laughs> Sorry, NBC, NBC. Right. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, but One yeah, uh, very, very strange. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, so Nintendo was approached by Fuji TV to create a game based on the festival and they went to work creating Yume Kojo Doki Doki Panic, which was based on an old prototype that Nintendo had abandoned like a year or two prior. Put a pin in that. 
The prototype that they had basically involved a Mario-like 2D platformer with an emphasis on grabbing and throwing items. It was also meant to be an exercise in vertical scrolling, uh, something that does exist in Yumekocho Doki Doki Panic, though possibly less than Nintendo imagined when they were first creating the prototype. Imogene is joined by his parents, who are simply named Mama and Papa, and his girlfriend, who over here in the West is often mistaken as his sister, uh, but I, I've got it on pretty good authority that it's actually his girlfriend uh, named Lena. So Yume Kojo was released to the Japanese public in conjunction with the Fuji TV Festival. It was a success, uh, but it was also a game based on a license, meaning Nintendo's days of being able to actually sell this game were numbered. Not only was it a license that Nintendo didn't own, it was a license that was only meant to exist for about a month. So it kind of made sense for Nintendo to repatriate the game into the Nintendo family somehow. And it's not like there wasn't already a lot of Mario DNA in Doki Doki Panic. Uh, you have POW blocks from Mario Brothers and Starman from Super Mario Brothers. Those were already in Doki Doki Panic. There was already precedent for giving Mario and Luigi different skill sets brought over from Lost Levels. So mapping the Mario characters onto these four protagonists who had different abilities made a lot of sense. Instead of Imogene and his clan, you get to play as Mario, Luigi, a mushroom retainer who now gained the name of Toad, and Princess Peach, who was still going by the name Princess Toadstool in North America and was simply named Princess in the game. Um, so really quick, before we talk about the game specifically, I, I do want to go back to, you know, what I mentioned before about this being a prototype. So now I, I got some of this information from Wikipedia, which uh, does cite sources, but those sources seem to be Japanese Wikipedia. So <laughs> hopefully those are some in, in the Wikipedia article. Hopefully those are like sourced with like an interview that hasn't been translated. or something. Yeah, hopefully. Um, so you can take this with a grain of salt, but it, it makes sense. So I've always kind of speculated that maybe Yume Kojo was always meant to be sort of repurposed by Nintendo, that it was made with the idea that they could just turn these characters into proper Nintendo characters at some point to keep the game sellable. But it might actually be more closely tied to the Mario series than that, because the prototype that they abandoned, uh, they abandoned it right around the time that they were working on a sequel for Super Mario Brothers. So basically, th this may have actually been a prototype for what would have been Super Mario Brothers 2. But it was abandoned because Super Mario Brothers was such a huge success over in Japan that Nintendo had to get another one out real fast. That's why Super Mario Brothers 2 in Japan, aka the Lost Levels, uses basically all the same assets, same enemies, same engine, all that that the original Super Mario Brothers did. While Super Mario Brothers was popular over here, it was popular as a system seller. It was huge in Japan. The need to get a sequel out the door as fast as possible is kind of understandable. Is it the case that Yume Kojo started out as a Super Mario Brothers 2 prototype, got scrapped, then got brought back to life when Nintendo needed something to create a Fuji TV tie-in game and then was further repurposed back into a Mario game later? Um, maybe. It's extremely plausible. I mean, a lot of the same folks worked on Yume Kojo that would work on uh, Mario 3, and Shigeru Miyamoto was heavily involved in all the Mario games and Yume Kojo Doki Doki Panic. So, yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me. I mean, in, in any other era past this one, the idea of making a game for like a brief marketing tie-in that is as good and as like fully thought out as this one would be inconceivable. So, 
you know, it's either that they always intended for this to be kind of re repurposed into something that that could have like a longer tail or like this team was just on such a hot streak that, you know, <laughs> the, the the thing they they kind of put together for for this like uh outside promotion was just as good <laughs> as everything they were making for themselves. So it's a really interesting uh, thing to, to wonder about that, sadly, because of how much of a black box Nintendo tends to be about its own history, uh, we may never get like really, really clear answers for I think that it was kind of a surprise when, like, we got... Uh, for, for people who had played a bunch of Super Mario Brothers, uh, you know, to, to boot up Mario 2 for the first time and be confronted with something that is really quite... very much its own thing. Yeah, very much its own thing. Yeah, so in case you've never played Yume Kojo or Super Mario Brothers 2, this game plays a lot differently from Super Mario Brothers. Honestly, it doesn't have quite the precision controls that the original did. True. Characters don't build up momentum when you hold down the run button. They just kind of have two speeds, walk and run. But it's also a a somewhat small game uh, with only seven worlds and three levels in each world with the exception of world seven, which only has two. I I think on paper that's true, but I think that if you like, look at how big these levels are, probably this is actually a bigger game than super Mario brothers. Each of these levels feels so much more like expansive than, than the Mario one levels that, uh, you know, you know, putting the, the raw numbers next to each other for like how many stages there are doesn't, doesn't really tell the whole story. Uh, it's a very different design philosophy, though. There's certainly a lot more areas to poke around in and yeah. things to try, given all the characters' varied abilities. The way that you interact with this game is is pretty different than Super Mario Brothers. Like, you know, uh, jumping onto enemies both uh, does not kill the enemy, but it also doesn't, doesn't hurt you. This game is all about picking things up and throwing them at other things, and that can be either your Winking vegetables out of the ground or lifting enemies up over your head and throwing them at uh, at other enemies to uh, to kill them. It's a, a different kind of, I think, a little bit slower paced feeling game that does kind of uh, want you to you know, kind of poke around the levels more like it's not I would I would hesitate to call this exploration based because like there's very straightforward paths through the levels. But there are like secrets that are rewarding, reward your curiosity. There's often uh, like an alternate path to skip some of the level and get straight to the the levels uh, ending. Um, There are warp zones in this game, but they are very different and uh, kind of. Uh, rely on, um, you know, sort of more of a trial and error business uh, in this game. Uh, yeah, there's it's it's a really interestingly designed game that I think still feels really, really fun and exciting to play. But it is a little more laid back in some ways. So, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think Super Mario Brothers feels like a very methodical game. Somebody made yeah. something like, you know, just just you've got a semi rigid tool set for right. this game. But, you know, uh, maybe more or less a, a sp- specific way of going about clearing the levels but you know it's all very fun it's it's a good challenge 
Super Mario Brothers 2 feels like you've just been given a sandbox. You yeah, know? Like, yeah. For one thing, you don't have a timer in this game counting down. No, you don't. And you can go back and forward in the levels. That's very important. This is not like going to lock you out of going back to the start of the, lo- of the level uh, at any point. And the original Mario Brothers and Lost Levels implemented what we call now ratchet scrolling, where once you scroll the screen to the right, you can't go back to the left. That All that stuff, it, it doesn't exist anymore as far as Don't Mario's Don't even worry concerned. about it. Yep. Uh, and, and yeah, and this game does use that in, in some, it, it uses the fact that you can go back and forth uh, in, in certain circumstances, particularly the sequences where you have to grab a key from one part of a level, then backtrack through a part of the level while the uh, always terrifying Fanto uh, <laughs> floating mask chases you to the, the door with the keyhole that you need to use the key on. It's, it's very thoughtfully designed. This is where I think a lot of the more open-ended uh, level design we saw in Mario World and then in like the 3D Mario games kind of gets its its you know its start here. It's the seed of you know treating the the levels more like environments than uh, than just like obstacle courses to get to the end of. And like you said, you know, there's there's a lot of ways through the levels. Um, you know, like even the first world or the very first stage, rather, there's at least two ways I can think of to get to the boss. You can either skip a part of the the level by jumping over it, or you can actually find a completely different uh, way to the boss that bypasses part of the level. And I am glad that Nintendo found a way to sort of make this into a Mario game, because we do see a lot of things, you know, that, that would carry over into the, the greater Mario canon. Like, this is the first time that we actually see that, like, Mario and Luigi have, like, different facial structures and different heights and things like that. Obviously would have a huge impact on their character designs going forward. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, in, in fact, I mean, this is probably the game that really, like, solidified the the Nintendo design spec for Mario and Luigi, I would have to assume. And, and to a pretty good extent, Toad and, and the princess as well. Yeah. Toad wouldn't be playable in a, a lot of games, but whenever he di- he is, and even whenever he shows up, he's always this guy to some extent. Like, he's this little guy. I, I do sometimes wonder, like, is the Toad that we get, like, in this game, is this the same Toad in all the other games? Like, like is this the same Toad as Captain Toad? Right. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't I don't know. Or like, are all these Toads different? Like, is the Toad in Mario 2 a different Toad than the one who's in Mario Kart? Or do we get a different Toad in every single Mario Kart? Oh, this is yeah, it's blowing, maybe blowing my yeah, mind. Yeah, right. Like, what if? What if there's never a repeated Toad? What if they're all different? What even is Toad? Are we all Toad? We might all be Toad. We just don't even know it yet. Uh, <laughs> and of course we have, uh, Luigi's high floaty jump and princess Peach's uh, literal actual floating. And, uh, you know, yes. like, I think that there are things here that, uh, like, I think there were choices made later on, like, for example, in like smash brothers melee to base so much of princess Peach's, uh, like kind of, you know, ability kit around her Mario two incarnation that really kind of solidified this version as like the can <laughs> the canonical princess peach um in a lot of ways and mm-hmm. you know that that i think does show that whether or not this game was grafted onto the mario series or whether it was 
always intended for it. You know, they, they were really happy to like embrace this as a part of the thing. This is the first appearance for things like shy guys and, uh, you know, I guess not actually bob bombs, right? Oh no, this this was the first this was the first um uh, appearance okay, of the bombs. Yeah. yeah. Um and yeah, you know, for for as much of the stuff that's in this game that never shows up again, there are things here that are very core parts of Mario that uh, I I think really added a lot to the series by by their inclusion. Um more than if they had just gone straight from this to something that was more like Mario 3. I do always find it strange like given how much of this game did get repatriated back into, you know, like Mario games proper, like, you know, Shy Guys and Sniffets oh, yeah. are all over the Mario the, the greater Mario universe now. But we don't ever see these bosses no, come back we with don't. the exception of Birdo. Yeah, it's, we, it's we don't, really true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and like I guess again with the exception of um Wart's strange uh, cameo in Link's Awakening. There, there's really never been any other appearances of Mouser, Triclide, Wart. The fire thing, whatever it's uh, called. Fry Guy. Fry Guy, Fry yeah. Guy. Yeah, uh, or uh, Claw Grip. Yeah, Did that's I sorry true. say Claw Grip? You did not say Claw Grip. Yeah, that was okay. a good catch, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. They never really tried to reuse these bosses again. And, like, like on the one hand... I don't know if I think that, like, say, Mouser is a less iconic design because I, I genuinely think that, or if I only think that because it didn't get used in a bunch of other Mario games like Shy Guys did. I mean, if you grew up watching the old Super Mario Brothers Super Show cartoon, you saw a lot of those characters. Yeah, that's so. actually a good point, because the Super Mario Brothers Super Show was based on this game <laughs> very specifically. Like, this was the new Mario game when that show was getting made, so they just based all of the, like, you know, repeated enemies and stuff in that on, on this game. Uh, so yeah, that's actually a very good point. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think like, you know, he's a giant mouse with sunglasses that throws bombs. Like what more do you want? Like that's right. Yeah. You know, I mean, come on, Br bring back Mouser Nintendo. What, what are we doing here? Right. Mouser for smash. Yeah, Mouser uh, for we know Smash. You said we know you said you were done adding characters to that game, but uh, you know, uh, put put Sakurai back in the box and make him make <laughs> another character and make it this one. You know you can't stay away, Sakurai. Don't pretend you can. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this this is just a really really fun game, and uh, yeah. I think it, you know it's it's status as this sort of weird outlier among the mainline Mario games kind of gets reflected in best NES game lists of all time. Mario Two tends to be lower than its uh, predecessor and its uh, its sequel. I know on IGN's list of the top 100 NES games, Mario 3 was number one and Mario 1 was number three. And this one was all the way down at like, I think, number 18, which I mean, you know, still top That's 20 pretty game. high, but I, I don't know. I would put it I would personally put it higher than that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is kind of tough when like it just it doesn't it, as good as it is, it doesn't quite play like a Mario game. So, you know, it's I guess worth noting that, like, regardless of 
how many things in this ended up coming back, the basic mode of interaction that this game has kind of didn't. Like, it kind of came back in Yoshi's Island, which itself is sort of a weird offshoot of the Mario games. But yeah, um, in general, uh, this whole idea of, like, picking up... picking up enemies and and throwing them at each other. And, you know, sometimes it like chains together and you bonk off like, you know, four of them at once with, with one guy uh, is uh, not a thing that, that was decided that like, no one looked at this and was like, okay, this is what Mario is now. Like when they went back to do a Mario three, they went back to something where like the mode of engagement was a lot more like Mario one. So I, you know, I, I, it, I guess it makes sense that like this would be kind of considered like sort of outside of of you know the the sort of pantheon of Mario games, but I, I don't really think that's fair. I think it's good. Now I wonder if it is the case that this was originally meant to be Super Mario Brothers two, um, and you know Nintendo had their druthers about them and managed to get this one out as Super Mario Brothers two in Japan. Would Super Mario Brothers three have looked the way it did, or good question? Every yeah. Mario game would just be like its own thing with its own new mechanics, um, which you know could have been interesting. Um, could have been interesting. Yeah, I mean, I will say this very much follows the pattern of Nintendo sequels of the time of being something completely different than the first game. Like if you look at like Zelda two. Uh, you know, that's a game that may be more different from its predecessor than this is for Mario one. And then that series, much like with with, you know, Mario three really kind of went back to the original and did sort of like uh, a very considered updating of that that formula for the next game in this series. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I don't know. But I also don't know if that pattern what established that pattern? Like, was it this game or was it something they were already kind of interested in doing? So I don't know. Uh, it's a good question though. I kind of do wonder what the alternate universe would be like where every Mario game was, was so radically different. Like, it's like, this is a completely vertically scrolling game. Like, cause yeah, like you said, this does have some vertically scrolling stuff in it, but the, all, all the levels are not just built around that. So yeah, and, and the weird sort of like screen shifting that happens when you go from one uh, screen vertically to another sort of makes me think that like it, it's not quite built to be as smooth, you know, going vertically as it is going horizontally. But yeah, but it, it's still cool, and I it, and I do still like the levels that implement uh, the the verticality. I mean, like the game starts out with your character falling out of a door in the sky yeah. onto a mountain and descending that mountain in the very first area. I mean, it, it's it's kind of a bold choice in a way. It's like letting you know right out of the gate, hey, you're not just going to be going from. Uh, from left to right, you know, the, this entire game, you're, you're going to be going all sorts of different ways. Yeah, no, it does that good Nintendo thing of just teaching you how this game is going to work by throwing you into it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, it's cool. Literally in this case, throwing you into it. Um, but yeah, like it's funny. Cause like this game is uh spoilers, I guess all set inside a dream Mario is having, but yep. it, it's interesting that like, especially compared to, to, um, you know, Mario one, these levels feel like extremely real places. Like they feel like there's like a logic to how the areas connect to each other. And like, 
you know, it, 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 when they shift to like a new, a new, uh, world, like the theming is very strong. Like it's very specific to this new place that feels distinct from the last place you were in. They, they did some interesting stuff here with trying to like, you know, build out these environments, uh, in, in a cool way that, uh, you know, uh, they would continue to do in, in a lot of ways, but I think in, in a little, in some ways, Mario three is actually a bit of a step back from that even because of how, how it's composed of just like tiny little bite-sized stages for the most part. Yeah. I mean, Mario three obviously has, you know, it's doing a variety of of levels, you know, like, I mean, in Mario 2, we've got uh, three grassland, you know, three grassy plain worlds, two desert worlds, an ice world, and whatever that last world is supposed to be, the the big Wart's Castle world. Yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, a lot more variety in Mario 3, for sure. But But I I do like what they do with, like... like, um, in the uh, the grassy plains areas, like the first one, the first level is uh, or the first world is, you know, a lot of uh, pretty traditional Mario platforming. But then later on, you've got, again, those very vertical worlds in uh, which, like, you know, sometimes you're going into underground caverns and hopping across waterfalls or other times you're like in front of a huge waterfall and one of my favorite levels from that game where uh, oh yeah that's a great level yeah yeah you can either go up into the clouds uh, to continue the stage or you can drop down and find a secret area where you can get some power-ups Speaking of power-ups, do we want to talk a little bit about, like, the differences between Doki Doki Panic and this game? Because Oh, yeah, yeah, because there are some interesting ones. Yeah, so, like I said, there were a few things that were already in there that were part of the Mario universe, the the Pow Blocks and the Starmen, but some other things got changed, like, um, they changed the hearts that increase your life meter into mushrooms, because, of course, they changed the masks that you climb on top of as extra platforms into mushrooms again, for some reason. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, Those always look like pill bottles to me. I don't know yeah, why. I, I know they're supposed yeah. to be. I know they're supposed to be mushrooms, but yeah. Like I was thinking like, oh yeah, it's a big like prescription. Yeah, I can, I can kind of see that. I don't know why they didn't just make them like flowers or something like that, but uh, I don't know. Um, yeah. There's also uh, the magic lamps that they use to create the magic doors that take you into the subspace levels to get those hearts and or mushrooms were changed into potions. And that one kind of confuses me a little bit. I'm not sure why they decided to do that, but yeah, I don't really get why they bothered to change that. Like, it's not like a, like a test tube, like a Bunsen Bunsen burner full of, of sparkly goo is, is particularly more germane to like Mario than a magic lamp would be. But yeah, yeah, but I, I I guess they just wanted to sand off a little bit of the, the Arabian theming, but I mean, like you still got deserts and flying carpets. So yeah, you still got deserts and flying carpets and the, the like big urns that you can go down into, um, you know, so yeah, I wonder, yeah, it's not like they turned all of those into pipes or anything. Yeah, exactly. I wonder if it would have been just too difficult to turn those into pipes, uh, from jars. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of like the, the. It just sort of gives it more of the, its own distinct look that I, yeah, I kind right. of appreciate. It does, yeah. And a lot of the stuff they changed was specifically related to the like carnival theming mm-hmm. of uh, like the the masks uh, changing into mushrooms and like even the like weird like doors at the end of the stage. They changed those from looking more like 
like a carnival mask into this big eagle face. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But another thing that they uh, that they changed about this game that they actually improved is there's a lot more life to everything in this game. Yeah. The grass clumps that you grab to pull vegetables out of the ground sway in the breeze, as do all the beanstalks that you climb to get to other areas. Uh, the cherries do the same thing. The the pow blocks now instead of just saying pow or like almost have like these strange LCD looking screens on them. Yeah, where, where they kind of like scroll. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, no, everything's been just like touched up a little bit. And like things like the uh, the the little like bonus game slot machine at the end of the stages looks is is a, a totally different screen that's much more attractive looking in Mario 2 than it is in uh, Doki Doki Panic. Yeah. Um so yeah, no, they did a lot of t- like they they did kind of like just like another pass on all the graphics and made them better. I think this is a really cool game. I've got really, really fond memories of playing this. I know a lot of people think it's kind of like the lesser of the Mario trilogy on the NES, but I don't know. I I, I, I like this one a whole lot. And um, like I, I played this after Mario 1 because, as I said last time, Mario 1 was the pack-in game that came with the system. I was a little bit older when I played this, and I didn't get turned off by the fact that it was different. I was just kind of surprised by it. But I, I really ended up liking this one a whole lot, and I beat this one as well. That's important to note. I was able to finish this game. I was never able to finish Mario one on the NES. Yeah. Yeah. I, yep. Same. I mean, I was able to finish it eventually. I think, I don't think I was ever able to finish Mario one or the lost. Well, I mean, obviously I didn't finish the lost levels until it was out, but I don't think I was able to finish Mario one until it came out in this collection with, um, Mario All-Stars. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what I mean. Like, I, I wasn't able to finish it like on the NES, just playing yeah. through it. Whereas straight, like you, you, know? you were probably able to beat, Original vanilla Super Mario 2. Yes, I was able to beat original Super Mario Brothers 2. We should probably also mention just like some of the things that are updated about this one for Mario All-Stars, which honestly... Oh, yes, we we definitely should. Not that much in this case. Uh, uh, This one, I think retains uh, unlike Mario one and the lost levels, this one retains a ton of the just visual identity of NES Mario Mm two, just with, you know, a little more color, you know, maybe the sprites are touched up in places and the music sounds richer, but it isn't, you know, qualitatively different in any really significant way. Yeah. I think this one definitely retains, um, you know, it, it's it's feel and it's sound a lot. You know, it's it's a lot closer to what I remember. Just touched up. The backgrounds obviously are, are embellished a whole lot, but yeah, you know, I think it works with um, with the kind of game that Super Mario Brothers Two is more than I think it worked with Super Mario Brothers the the original. And I, I feel kind of the same way with the music. Like the the music in this game is is kind of ragtimey. It's <laughs> yeah, I don't know it how is. It's cool. It. It's a very it's. It, yeah, it's kind of kind of like, you know, ragtime jazz, like, you know, maybe it looks like kind of something you'd see in like a silent movie or something. You know? Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, but yeah, it, th- this game manages to the Mario All-Stars version of this retains its identity really well. It doesn't ter- feel like it's been turned into a slightly different thing. Yeah, like I, when I was editing the last episode and I was listening to the remade Mario one music and I was like, they did this weird midi steel drum sort of sound to the overworld theme that yeah i don't know if that really works i mean super mario brothers just has that very iconic chiptune sound that 
Uh, right. I don't yeah. know if I really care for it being messed with all that much. Whereas with the music to Mario two, you know, I, I feel like you can do more with that and without losing what, what that music is. Um, and yeah, I just, I just think that this whole thing is, is really great. I would say like Mario all starts is probably the way to, uh, play that game again. If you want to go back to it. Yeah. Cause just because I do think that all the little embellishments, um, you know, just, just add even more personality to it. The Phantos were scary before, but now they exist in these little temples where once you pick up the key, the, the eyes the, of the, the giant eyes. Phanto in the background yeah. start glowing. <laughs> That's such a cool thing. I like that a lot. Yeah. Really good stuff. In comparison, the super Mario brothers Two advance or whatever that game was where the, for the, Game Boy Advance. Oh, I yeah. think they added a bit too much. They did. They went too far. That was the first. That was the first one, right? That was the first Mario. Advance. Yeah, that was the first Mario Advance because I guess the one before it would have been DX. Yeah, because they went hard on those like voice clips that are just infuriating to listen to. Like everybody says things all the time. It's terrible. Yeah, I would not recommend the Mario Advance version. Just yeah, and for it that. stinks it's because like, they added content to it, and I like wanted to check it out, but I just I could not play it because of the the voices. It was too obnoxious. I would really love to see Nintendo just straight up make another game, another Mario game like this one. Like I want more of this, honestly. Yeah. like I I would, would love really to see this cool. come back, and uh, we're probably probably never going to happen. But Pro- probably not. Like the dream for me, like a lot of, a few years ago when that uh, Wonder Boy three, uh, the Dragon's Trap remake came out, a bunch of people were like fantasizing about like, oh man, what if those same people did an updated version of Zelda two? I want that that's, for this game. Like, I think that would be really, really cool. That's your dream? That's uh, of that kind of thing. That's my dream. Did that come out of the Dream Factory? It came out of the Yume Kojo. Yeah. 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 That is, that is, that is uh, I have a heart pounding panic <laughs> when I think of that. Like, that, that's what I want. Yeah. 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 Is there anything else that we need to discuss with this one? Um, I will say one other thing um, about the difference between this and Doki Doki Panic. Uh, they made a very smart change where in order to beat Doki Doki Panic, you had to play through each level as each character. Like you couldn't switch between characters between levels. You had to start at the beginning and play through as each character. Uh, whereas this game lets you change characters, not just like when you reach a new stage, but even when you die. Yeah. Well, and actually th- that change was made in all stars because uh, you did not get to change characters when you died in the original. Okay. But you know, I'm, I'm glad to, to have a version of this where that is possible. So that's another, you know, feather in the cap of the Mario All-Stars version of this. So Yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah, I do wish there was maybe like a, ch- a challenge mode where they, um, for this version where it did uh, keep track of your progress of like how many levels you beat with each character. But yeah, yeah, that would be cool. I understand that why that cool. doesn't exist. Because, uh, I mean, obviously it didn't exist in the original because the original Mario 2 didn't have a, a save battery or anything in it. So yeah, I, I don't have anything else to say. I think this is a very good game and I'm very glad that this is what we got here as Mario. Yep, yeah. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that this became a Mario game. So we've got all these fun characters to use. I'd like to see more of the bosses. 
Not thrilled with the way that they handled Birdo in the original, according to the instruction manual, but... <laughs> no, that bit's not good. Uh, that's very unfortunate. Uh, very unfortunate thing. So, yeah. Uh, we don't need to go into that any further. But <laughs> no, you can look that up if you want to. It's uh, it's a shame. Yeah, um, There's a YouTuber, I, I think he goes by, I think his name is James Somerton or something like that. Um he, he does a lot of like pop culture and queer theory sort of stuff. And he did a video recently about um, Nintendo's history with queer characters. And, um, and and I think he's got a great video about that kind of stuff. So cool. Yeah. Cool. I'll have to check that out. I didn't know about that. Uh, I can say without having watched that video, Nintendo's history with queer characters. Not great. Nope. <laughs> no, it is not. Uh, be better, Nintendo. Be better, please. We like Nintendo here, but um, sometimes, but but actually, also folks like uh, Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. That's that is basically the philosophy of our show. I think. Yeah, that's our philosophy with like video games in general. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's a healthy philosophy to have, honestly. All so. right, folks. Well, I think that's I think that's going to do it for today. Yeah, that'll do it. Um, we hope you're enjoying this trip through May Rio, uh, facilitated by. Super Mario All-Stars, and uh, join us next time as we wrap this up with a talk about Super Mario Brothers 3. And uh, until next time, uh, I'm Emmy Zero. I'm Steampunk Link. Play it loud. Uh, do, we, do we have time to talk about this nonsense with Reggie that, that's been happening the past couple of weeks? We have time for that? Wh wh which nonsense? Because <laughs> I feel like there's a couple of different things. Are we talking about the Reggie wanting to sell his Animal Crossing Island as an NFT? Yes. Yeah, well, yeah, I, yeah, I definitely want to talk about that because, like, you know, this means one of two things. Reggie is either a lying to you because he knows that you could already do that if Nintendo wanted you to be able to do that. Right, right. Or B... And, and honestly, like, I think this might be more likely just because I don't think the executive class does anything for companies. Yeah. He's so far removed from the actual process of making things. He has no idea that, uh, yeah. That, like, yeah, the reason you can't do that in a Nintendo game right now is because Nintendo does not want you doing that. Yeah. But the tech exists without NFTs or, or Bitcoin or blockchain or anything. Yeah. In case y'all don't know, Reggie, Reggie has been doing a round of interviews because he put out a book recently about his, like a memoir. And he said some stupid that basically sounds like a corporate executive talking off the top of their head. So yeah. And uh, as somebody who was a contractor for Nintendo for three years regarding all of the abuse uh, allegations around, um, you know, folks at Nintendo and Reggie saying that's not the Nintendo I left. He wouldn't know because he never had anything to do with any of the contractors. Yeah. Contractors were in their own little building. We were only allowed to go to the places where we could spend money. That's the only places we were ever allowed near any of the actual NOA employees. 
no executives at Nintendo ever said boo to us. Like, you know, no, my, my dude worked across a, a soccer pitch from the building that the contractors were in high up in an office on like the top floor, probably not even like just like a welcome aboard email that was like that gets sent to everybody, like not even that. Um, folks, pirate your games. We're pro piracy here.